hope you brought your lab coats and notebooks. <laughs> I love that you're gonna keep that going. <laughs> keep that yeah. That's actually that's actually great. And welcome back to another fun episode of the Scientists in Training podcast. I promise this introduction is not AI generated. Um, I'm just awkward. Um, so today we have some guests because our discussion for today's episode will be on what is deeper or discipline-based education research. Uh, Emily and I have sprinkled in little hints and like mentions of Debrew, but we figured it was about time we really get into the the meat of uh, Debrew and talk a little bit more about it. And so what we have done for today's episode is we have recruited some of our friends who are also in Debrew, um, and so let's go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Johnny Wen. I am a fifth-year uh, PhD student in microbiological sciences, uh, and also the Deaver program. Uh, I, when I grow up, <laughs> I want to teach uh, at an undergrad level because I know that I will not be able to handle teaching below an undergrad level, and I enjoy it very much. Are you still a student, or are you a candidate? I'm a candidate now, technically. There actually. you go. Ooh, yeah. Candidate. Candidate. Sorry. <laughs> Use the fancy term. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Idris Malik. I'm a first year um, PhD student in the physics and Deaver program. Um, my current future plans are to become a professor of physics at a university. Um, yeah. Okay. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ariana McDarby. I am a third year PhD student in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. Um, and also the deeper program, and I too hope to maybe be a faculty member one day at a university. And then you know the rest of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for joining us. Yeah, and so um, we've mentioned deeper and like kind of explained what it is being discipline-based <coughs> education research. Um, but like when I was applying to the program that I was like uh, for NDSU, it was uh, just you know mentioned in passing that my advisor also works across you know psychology and another more like education research application um, department. And I was just like, okay, cool. I don't know what that is, but I'm very excited. Um, and so getting into like what you know, like first impressions were, have any. Did anyone know what like Deaver was before you showed up on campus? No, not at all. I didn't. I think I had a little bit of a sense of what it was, but I think that is an artifact of the university I came from and the professor I happened to meet as an undergrad being interested in that world already and her knowing who Jenny was. And so it was like a, this is kind of what that is. Mm. Interesting. So it's, uh, you know, a fun little niche of research that um, it, I, I mean, it's pretty interesting and um, not a lot of people necessarily know what it is until they meet people who do it. Um, and so knowing that it is like a little bit different, a little niche, um, how like different is deeper research from like the rest of like the research that we do? Because and, and like psychology research, it's kind of just like straightforward. You test like participant response times, also measuring their EEG. But 
deeper research is a little bit uh, different. So we're just calling me out over here. (laughs) (laughs) I guess something that I I will sit in my biology classes and will read papers and people will talk about the things that they do with their model organisms and I laugh because I could never do that with the thing that I study. Like we were talking about attaching RFID tags to bumblebees. Yeah. I could never put RFID tags on students <laughs> to, like, track their movements or, or things like that. Like, you, there's so many things where you're, like, removing genes and knocking things out and seeing what kind of messed up stuff it does to mice. And you could just never do that <laughs> to humans, um, at least in, an, like, an education setting. And so... That makes me laugh. Yeah, I review would have to think say about that. I was going to say you could use TMS, but that'd be hard to do in an educational setting. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just your pants are and so <laughs> it's it is. There are a lot. I don't want to say more, but there are much more. There are much different ethical considerations that um, we take in deeper in biology than I think um, biologists do. I'll say for me, uh, when I was an undergrad and taking a lot of my uh, first two years of physics classes, I didn't really know that um, discipline-based education research was a thing, um, or physics education research was a thing, and I kind of stumbled into it in trying to find a professor to do research with because my university really pushed undergrads to get involved in research, so I met a professor who happened to do physics education research, and I thought it was really cool that I had never heard of stuff like that, and I could still... um, it kind of feels like physics is like the background of what I'm doing. I'm really focusing on how to um, make certain instructional practices better um, or see how effective they are in their current state. Um, and that involves physics, which I'm really um, psyched about with like the problem solving and the way it can model certain things. Um, but a lot of the tools I learned in my undergrad courses and now one of my graduate courses um, are interesting from a physics standpoint, but I feel like they don't all super apply to the type of research that I do. So it's like, I get more context on what physics is, but I have to get more insight on how to do physics education research um, from advisors that work in education research. Yeah, I feel like we talked a lot about like lab work versus Mm -hmm. deeper research, and I would say it's pretty similar in the chemistry world. But another thing I want to touch on is like coursework, I feel like, the graduate level chemistry courses versus the graduate level deeper courses look a lot different. Um, I feel like you're not really taking exams and having lecture style classes in the deeper courses. They're more discussion based and project based and I felt like I got a lot more out of those classes because I feel like I'll be able to use that material um, in the future. It's almost like the people who study evidence-based practices design classes that are using evidence-based <laughs> practices so that you learn more. What? It's so weird how that works. It's so <laughs> weird how that works, isn't it? <laughs> I will say most of my biology classes have also been very discussion-based, and so um, I think that's an important thing to point out with, with our deeper work is that we are um, students in our home disciplines too, and so we are building the expertise as a student in that discipline as well. We're just also taking the step and applying a lot of those things and thinking about how to teach them and how to help students learn more effectively in our classrooms. And is that pretty like similar in like microbiology research? It's just like oh, microbiology research, it, similar to the bench work versus the 
not bench work stuff, right? Everybody in my department is working with like microbiome stuff or like putting their hands in cattle where you probably, where I don't want to put my hands in cattle, right? It's <laughs> weird. Right. Uh, and then they're doing all of that stuff and then manipulating genes and then working with viruses and vaccines and stuff like that. And then I'm sitting here every time I go to like a seminar or something like that and it's just like right over my head and I'm like, okay, all right, base level, yeah, okay, I have an understanding, but as soon as they start weaving in the more intricate stuff, I'm like, I, I cannot understand this, but I have my own section of expertise here. Which yeah. is good, that kind of gives you a perspective of why discipline-based education research is so important to exactly. help people grasp it. I think yeah. The new face of concept inventories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whenever true. I hear about concept inventories, I think of Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one thing that I like really appreciate about, like, one, learning our discipline, but then also learning, um, like, effective ways to teach is, you know, I'm teaching for the first time this semester, and um, consistently I've been having about, like, 35 to 40 out of my 50 students show up on a daily basis. And uh, some of the faculty mentioned to me that it was, like, really, like, shocking and impressive that so many students still show up um, this late into the semester. Mm -hmm. And another faculty mentioned, well, you know, this is, you know, Katie's grad student. This is, you know, Mm -hmm. a Deaver student. And so, you know, just being in the environment of learning Deaver has just naturally helped teaching. I will say, though, and this might, (laughs) I don't know if you experience this, too, but learning deeper and like all the ways to effectively teach and stuff while also having control of your own class for the first time that was hard for me like i i admittedly wanted to default to doing the easier and worse stuff like instructional practices Mm -hmm. just because i had so much stuff going on uh that it was it's hard 100%. I was trying to land on like a certain type of grading system. I went for the record, I hate grades. I, if I could do no grades at all, I would love to do it, but I recognized I didn't necessarily have the experience to do that. But then I also didn't want to like default onto like the traditional system Mm -hmm. because I definitely was feeling towards that way. And so I was just trying to implement some type of alternative grading into the practice. I think the other most common practice that I think we're alluding to, but we're not naming, and it's important we name it, is mm-hmm. lecturing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think when with, with those of us that are sitting in the room, we are all on the same page that active learning is considered the best approach right now, or better approach than lecturing, and I don't think that assumption is shared with everyone. And so if your professor is just standing in front of the class and reading off of slides, guess what, you're not actually learning. It feels easier, and I know students think they like it, because it feels easier, but you're not actually learning. And in college, you're paying to learn, mm-hmm. so you should care. Yeah, so those costs are expensive. <laughs> yeah. I also try not to think too much about how much my students are paying for me to stand in front of them and like teach them <laughs> whatever I am. See, in the amount that they pay, whether a faculty member or a graduate student is standing in front of that classroom is the same, but the amount of money that you get versus a faculty member, and so the college is making more money off of graduate students being instructors of record. Boom. Boom. Snaps. I just want to do that to the microphone. (sighs) Soapbox. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so one thing I 
feel like we should really just like um, explain in our own words what does a deeper researcher do because we kind of alluded to like you know traditional physics versus deeper physics you know you include some actual like physics research into it um, well it is actual physics research um, but you include physics research in what you do but it's some sounds like it's something wider so how would you describe deeper research it's a hard question so I always think about it in what's like a topic that's like tough for students in biology to learn like, or what's important for them to be getting out of biology classes, and are they getting that out of biology classes? And so, me in particular, I'm really interested in something called genetic determinism, and so it's this idea that students are leaving classrooms thinking that a gene determine, like, genes determine every single one of our traits, which then leads them to believe things like race are genetically determined, like um, sexual orientation, gender, and those things are social constructs that aren't genetically based. And so what are we doing in the classroom that um, is allowing students to leave with that type of idea? And what can we do a little bit differently? What can we frame so that students leave with a more complete idea of what is going on um, in the central dogma of biology? <laughs> so that's, I, I think about it a lot in that way. It's like, what do students struggle with? Why do they struggle with it? And how can we make it a little less of a struggle. I would say, I would sort of agree with what you're saying there um, in that we're looking, or at least I'm saying I think I'm looking because it's my first year officially as a grad student, right. so I'm still trying to figure out exactly what angle I'm trying to take um, in the type of research that I do. So a lot of that time is spent um, in this topic. I'm really interested in the math that physics students are doing in physics classes because Physics students do a lot of math um, that they've done in math classes before, um, and they're doing that in physics classes, and it might feel like different math in a physics class because instructors talk about it in different ways. Um, and this is sort of formed from my experience as a student and as a tutor in a math department um, back in undergrad, is that even without thinking about it, when I was talking with other students in my classroom experience, we talked about um, physicist math being different than mathematicians math um, and I thought it was really interesting that I can um, devote time to looking at uh, research that other people have done that sort of characterizes that type of thinking and seeks to I don't know if it's really explain it but see how it can be used to improve instruction and it's a really nebulous thing it feels like sometimes um, compared to what other people I know in physics are studying like the properties of a specific material or they're looking at trying to detect um, exoplanets or something if they're in astronomy um, where it is sort of like a different type of skill set that I'm trying to develop instead of working with sp specific instruments that like measure voltage I'm trying to see how I can approach a problem from a theoretical angle and that can be really difficult sometimes to like sort of pin down exactly what tool I'm trying to use to sort of understand the problems I'm thinking about. I always say our research is just a little squishier than some <laughs> other research in that there's people involved mm -hmm. and yeah. people like students just bring a whole different, you're going to think a student is going to do something and they're going to do something completely the opposite mm -hmm. and you'll be like, why? And <laughs> so, there's a lot more variables that go into it than 
some like instrument. Um, before moving on to some of the other questions, I also wanted to get some of the like outside perceptions. Um, it was the other day where uh, we were talking with one of the psychology grad students, and I said, oh, I'm going to go to JC, referring to one of our Deaver classes. <laughs> and uh, we call it JC because it's the journal club journal where we club. sit around talking about like different papers interdisciplinary. The journal club. Yeah. And the, the Ohio State University. <laughs> Maybe we can trademark it. <laughs> Ohio State University can't trademark the we can't either. And like every time I said, oh, I'm going to go to Journal Club, Garrett in his head thought I was going to go to this club where we sit around, write in like actual feeling journals and discuss our emotions. And I'm not kidding, he thought this for like two years. Yeah. Like he really? Yeah. It was like yeah. recently. So Petition for us to like actually do that. I think that sounds fun. The day he found out was quite funny. So Slightly in his defense, everyone I talked to was always like, what is Journal Club? I was like, the journals, mm -hmm. like, you know, the More journals articles. published in, like the papers, and he's like, oh. So, um, since uh, in the last two and some change years. Um, what have, has your impressions of Deeper and also JC been? I will say I had a misconception of my own. If you just kept saying Deeper, Deeper, I was like, I could have sworn there was a V in there. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the V would have been, but I, you were just like, yeah, you kind of pulled a, you, you know what Deeper is. I did not know what Deeper was. It wasn't I like didn't know at the time. Point to people, so I was like, Beaver. I don't know. He must be making this up. What? <laughs> I'm just sitting in the conference room by myself for like an hour. But yeah, definitely it's taken me some time to understand it. Honestly, even just in this conversation, I feel like I'm learning a lot more um, into like kind of the differences even between because I've heard Alex's side of it. I've heard Emily's side of it a lot. And but even getting multiple disciplines kind of talking about it. It's interesting to see um, those differences kind of learning more about it. I, honestly, I have such an appreciation for this work because I personally have seen many people, um, you know, be like, oh, I just can't do this. It's not meant for me. And it's kind of good to see that people are out there doing such hard and good work and trying to make that be just better. Can, can you say that louder for the people in the back? <laughs> <laughs> I will be saving the coach. <laughs> be best, as we say in the psychology of <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I kind of had an idea, obviously coming in with Alex at the same year of gen in general what it was, just education and all research, um, which is kind of funny, like, when you go in, like, you know your area of research, and then they're like, you hear about someone else's research, you're like, you know, that's a genius idea. Like, people <laughs> should research that. <laughs> like, you know, like, everyone's researching everything, but you don't actually think about what should be researched until you hear about it. And so I do think it's super important. My husband's a teacher. Um, and in his undergrad, he did not learn everything about evidence-based. It was like, his professors were like, this is how I taught when, like 30 years ago before I retired. And like, it's the best. And here you go. Mm -hmm. um, he took a class this summer and he's starting to teach evidence-based teaching this year. And his scores have gone up super high. Kids love it. It's almost um, like it works. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Almost like evidence-based, like means something. I know. His, yeah, and so it was kind of like weird for him because no one else in the school was doing it other than him. Um, but he found out last week that teachers want to come in and sit in his classroom and like see how he's doing it and how he's implementing it. And so that's super exciting. Um, 
for him and all and I think especially for those other teachers who are willing to go in and learn how to do it to implement it themselves um, because we can't get it to the professors who are teaching people to teach then I guess we have to go directly to the people teaching I guess um, so I do think it is very important and I wish more people knew about um, that type of research and there are some pretty big like societies and conferences that are spreading this work. I mean, my advisor is heading off to NABT, so the National Association of Biology Teachers, in a few weeks here. Um, SABER, which is my favorite acronym for a society ever, it's like so cool, is the Society for the Advancement of Biology Education Research, and so there, and like PERC is huge, and so there's a lot. We're, we're here. <laughs> we're tracking to, to get the message out. Um, and it's almost like the university where your husband once has people that study evidence-based practices, and the teachers could probably, the professors could probably learn these evidence-based practices. I'm not even kidding. When I told him, I told him this like last week. <laughs> I was like, which is like, oh, like it was, it was weird because he was in teaching classes the same time I took STEM classes with the Deaver faculty, mm-hmm. and so. On his <clears throat> end, obviously he's learned a lot, but at the time he was like, professors just. Like, I go through four years and, like, professors take, like, one class and then they can teach. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't and understand. And a lot of them don't even take And a lot of them don't even class. Class. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair. It, yeah, so the people who are, are not taking the class are obviously, they don't really know how to teach. But, like, even for me, he was like, you're going to teach one class and, like, be prepared to teach. But then when he was watching me take this class, he's like, okay, never mind. Like, you learned a lot more in that one class than I learned in my four years. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> so I'm glad you're my notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told him. I was like, I have all my stuff if you want to read through any of it. And so, um, yeah, so it's kind of cool to see it working out. So Emily mentioned this towards the beginning, but, you know, since ethics is very important, if you want to, like, learn more about just ethics and research, you should listen to our first season where we discuss ethics and research. But um, since this is probably why it's like one of our number one listen podcasts. Oh, so so. <laughs> you might also remember topical. Ariana for That's her commentary in the. You're the first guest speaker who's been here in twice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wait, what? You're our first time two timer. She offered her thoughts for the racial minority episode. That's right. That were then narrated oh, that by. Is right. It was truly. Yeah. That was from season I one. Down. Yeah. Season three That's now, yeah. right. I was the voice of you. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're the first guest who's been on twice. Time. We also do own a lot of the same, at least two of the same sweater, I feel like. We're yeah. just not wearing them today. We do. Oh, but I, I totally forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> Does no, not the sweater. The yeah, no, sorry. No. <laughs> I feel like. Does anyone use Iacook? I don't think anyone would use Iacook no, in education research. That's, a, that's animals. I just like yeah. saying Iacook. It's, it's, it's quite <laughs> it is a creepy thing to it. Yeah. I can't Let's remember, because that's the one where I had, <laughs> I had my students come up with their own like acrostic mm-hmm. poems mm-hmm. for what IRB and Iacook stand for, and something about cook, cooking cats. I can't remember. Yeah. It, was funny. it was funny. But I we all are consistently writing IRBs. Mm-hmm. If you haven't written one yet, Adresi, you will write an IRB. I'm in the process of looking at one and writing one. So yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting one. You will write many an IRB. Many, many an mm-hmm. IRB. I will say, though, 
other people have no idea what an IRP is. Oh, absolutely not. Like, not a clue. Since shivers down my it spine. It was STEM 810, which I... made us do that episode, because someone told me there is no ethics in animal research in STEM 810. What? Oh. And we were like, oh. no. Oh. And I was like, oh. Actually. But actually there And that's what triggered that episode. <laughs> okay. If they're invertebrates, then no. There's less of a... People who study insects don't tend to have many... The hoops that they have to jump through. That's some um, podcast lore for the listeners. Yeah. Why that Behind episode came about. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I will say sometimes just like in conversation or in passing with like the other chemistry graduate students that I'm friends with, I will say like, oh, like I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do my IRB, like I have to do this, and without fail, every single IRB? time. What's an IRB? And then I have to <laughs> explain. <laughs> The IRB stands for the Institutional Review Board, and because the subject of my research are humans, students, we mm-hmm. have to make sure that they're protected. Oh, but don't you just send out surveys? Because mm. I get a lot of that. Mm. Not in a bad way, but Ooh, in no. more of a confused, right? I'm like, educate them in ignorant. Yeah, way. I'm like, I. D- you're right. I. I do. I do do that. Mm-hmm. But. You know, there's a human behind the survey, right. mm-hmm. and there's humans behind these course grades and exam grades and all these other things. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's my default voice. But anyway, so yeah, I have definitely had to explain what an IRB is. I think every time I say IRB, unless I'm talking, yeah. But yeah. this is a safe space. We know what an mm-hmm. IRB is. <laughs> I know. But yeah. I think one of the biggest ethical considerations that um, maybe people don't think about if you're not in this world is that if we know a certain like format of class or a certain intervention, a certain intervention is better and they will do better in a class with that intervention, we can't assign students to a worse like treatment and so we can't like if say there's a lecture section and there is an active learning section we can't assign students to that lecture section because they we know active learning does better and so if we're going to study those two situations we have to let students self-select into those and so a thing like an IRB is there to make sure you're not like assigning students to a worse situation um, if you know it's a worse situation and you're investigating that difference would think that like um, like my advisor and I ran uh, collected data for a study that when student we mentored over the summer used um, we just wrote an IRB collecting all what we called student artifacts for like grades uh, like written responses basically anything a student produces we asked um, IRB and like wrote it and asked the students if we'd be allowed to use it um, for research purposes and um, like the IRB was pretty like you know comprehensive but it was easier than we like assumed it would be to like write and make sure that we were collecting that those student artifacts um, ethically and so it was just like a really interesting like different kind of um, IRB to write for that project because like most of my IRBs are just like we're going to collect participant data for problem solving and reaction times um, and so it's interesting how different deeper kind of research. And all your data stored on a password-protected computer. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. it's only accessible in hours with the research team. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and a password protected software, yeah. and a password protected computer, yeah. and a locked office that locks after business. At, you know, yep. kinda, Alternatives know. to participating in the study is not participating yeah. in the study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there will be no physical harm if you take participate in the study, aka take my Qualtrics survey, which you can close out of at any point in time, and there is no harm to you for quitting the study. <laughs> We got our IRB stuff. Yeah. It's also completely your choice, and there are no consequences if you do not choose to participate. Could you imagine if that wasn't the case? Take my survey for else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do me how it feels sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, please, dear God, I need data. <laughs> I'm one away from power. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm glad we all feel the same way. <laughs> I know um, Tara, the postdoc at my lab, has been... Uh, very much procrastinating <coughs> writing an IRB in the last few weeks. I think the last few weeks, the goal for the week has been, I'm not letting myself leave on Friday until I finish this IRB. I don't think it's finished yet. <laughs> it's like three weeks. So we'll see if Tara's, Tara's been sleeping in the office. Yeah, that would... I hope not. It's not that comfy in there. <laughs> yeah, students will try to walk in and, like, start class, class here. Start class <laughs> We have a yeah. couch if you ever need them at. Yeah, uh, she has also a bed. A bed. She has yeah. a bed, so <laughs> that's better than my couch. Oh, sleep research. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we just like to be comfy, so we have a couch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no other reason. Just comfy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How can educators or institutions support and promote like our deeper initiatives and research um, to enhance like our quality of education, as well as like communicate it to like actual like. Um, K through 12 instructors, college instructors. What a question. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 I think this is just the million dollar question. For our university, For our university right, right now. Um, I, yeah, like so listen to your people that are doing this research, uh, fund it, give them a budget so that they can actually support graduate students and help keep an R1 status. Um, Cause that's important to things apparently. Retention. Oh, that's that's the key word on campus. Yeah. Retention. Yeah. <laughs> also, it would be interesting to look at trends and see um, graduate student teaching evaluations across Deaver students versus non-Deaver students. Like there are always going to be great teaching, like graduate teaching assistants that are not in Deaver. Absolutely. But a trend, I think, would tend to show that the people who are getting the training and having the conversations and thinking deeply about their instruction might be better. Join our cult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of us. <laughs> so one, before we like wrap up this like really fun conversation, is... Uh, I always ask, what is one thing that you wish you knew before becoming a grad student and also like a deeper student? For me, one thing <laughs> I wish I knew before becoming a deeper student was knowing what deeper was so that I could like come in and like have a pretty strong understanding of what it was so I could like hit the ground running. But And one, I think one piece of advice that I usually give um, is just like, well, one, our workload is a lot. Like, we do our, like, normal workload, but then we also, like, take a lot of extra classes for, like, the deeper requirements for the program. Um, and so, like, you know, making sure to relax and take time, and it will, like, 
slowly snowball like the workload will increase over the next couple of years but you'll like become more and more capable because you'll be learning the tools to do it so it eventually will get like nice and easy probably yeah i guess going off like the advice question the advice component i would definitely tell prospective graduate students to like talk to the current graduate students and like when deciding which group they might want to join whether it be deeper or not deeper like make sure that it's going to be a good fit for them because i feel like there's nothing worse than being in a group with people or even like with an advisor that is just not a good fit for you so i would say that is my biggest piece of advice to potential graduate students i'll sort of touch on that as a more recent graduate student i always got the advice of talking to current graduate students um, and they told me that the workload was a lot and that the research is really a time sink for and that you have to be willing to like put a lot of time and effort into it. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Um, but then living it is a very different experience than just hearing about it. So even if you don't understand exactly the weight of what the grad students might be telling you of like, this is how much work it is, um, this is what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it will be different when you experience that and then working through how the graduate student experience is different than the undergraduate student experience is okay. It's okay that grad school feels like not like undergrad, at least I hope, because that's how I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. It does feel different. It does, yeah. To validate yeah. your feelings, it, it is different. Totally <laughs> different. I felt like I was hit by a truck when I first started grad school. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate, yeah. So. I think for me it was the newer, bigger sense of freedom and uncertainty because the shift from high school to undergrad you got more freedom in like planning your schedule and then like stuff like that and then from undergrad to grad school it's like you set your own deadlines and then like I still to this day panic if I don't if I don't get to a deadline but then like if I don't get to it and I tell my advisor she's like oh it's fine we'll, we'll push it forward ahead <laughs> but you also have to be careful not to keep pushing that deadline ahead uh, but then that yeah, that, that's the freedom piece. Uh, but also the uncertainty of, is this gonna work? Uh, can I even do this? And just being comfortable with that. That imposter syndrome coming through? Yeah, imposter yeah. syndrome. It's like I'm in charge of my entire like schedule right now. Right, like, exactly. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I think yeah. one thing I wish I knew before becoming a DOR student is that um, not everyone in your home discipline is going to value what you do yeah. and what you bring to a department. Yeah. Um, but there are going to be ones that aren't in DOR that do really value what you do. And it's really, it's, it's important to learn how to work with both of those people. Um, but especially when you're an early graduate student, um, finding those allies that do really value what you do is really important because um, they go on your committee. <laughs> so I think that is that is something that I, I wish I knew that there was animosity because there is some you know like some hostility to what Deaver does. We're coming in and we want to change the status quo, and that's. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, thank you to Johnny, Idris, and Ariana for joining us. Thanks to Emily and Elena Dallas for also joining. <laughs> <laughs> I was here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
not running away. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess it's time for you to hang up your lab coats and put away your notebooks. <laughs> um, and I guess we'll uh, see you next month for the next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Scientists in Training podcast is not associated with North Dakota State University. Any opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, are not reflective of the university.